Well, you know how it goes on most Sunday mornings, and that is by the time by the time I start talking, all four lines are taken, and that's certainly the case this morning. We're going to talk to Clint and James and Bill in Virginia. Big day yesterday. Lots of fun events happened. Next Saturday, uh, even bigger event. We're doing the Festival of Flowers out at the Austin Highway Event Center. In case you've been wondering, we're not going to do an organic roundtable this year. They simply don't have a good spot over there to do the kind of thing we do with the round table last year it was oh it was terrible it was so noisy uh where they had set it up in the corner people couldn't hear me i was shouting at people and anyway we just decided that we would uh, have to find a better place to have an organic round table but all the other fun things citywide plant exchange some lectures some chance to pick up some saws water saver points uh lots and lots of vendors over there it's going to be a great event as it always is i'll be broadcasting over there hope you come by and say hello but uh that's going to be next saturday morning and austin highway event center is well it's on austin highway little ways inside 410 uh between eisenhower and 410 i guess that'd be the easiest way to tell you actually it's between uh, eisenhower and where uh parabital comes in and uh, intersects uh with uh with Austin Highway over there. Anyway, it's easy to find big sign out there, and that's what we'll be doing next Saturday morning. Why don't we go ahead and take some phone calls, get some lines opened up, and uh, Clint's up first. Good morning, Clint. Good morning. How you doing? I'm well. How about you today? Oh, doing pretty good. I to ask you yesterday, oh, I got some uh, Joey and Fantastic Avocados. Uh-huh. Uh, they start producing, and they'll get to a you know, fairly size, about the size of your thumb, and you just barely touch them. Sometimes they'll just snap right off without even doing a tug. Well, that... I have young trees, or... Yeah, it's young trees. It's trees that set more fruit than they can ever mature. I talked to somebody yesterday and said they'd never seen so many avocados on their very young tree, and then... Uh, they were surprised. I wasn't surprised when they said about a third of the fruit just flat dropped off. And plants have a little built-in mechanism. Different plants do different things. Some plants, uh, when the fruit starts to grow, actually start producing ethylene gas. It'll make the surplus fruit fall off so the fruit that's left on the tree uh, will ripen better. So that's that's not an unusual thing, and it's just sort of the tree's way of protecting itself and uh you know, not totally depleting all its reserves to make a fruit crop. So I think they're going to get a good number of avocados, but uh, nothing unusual or abnormal about that. Well, usually, so far, I've had maybe three or four set per per year, and then either they're dropping off or something's getting to them. Which are both possible. Yeah, I would be feeding them pretty often. Uh, You know, liquid espoma has to grow, uh, Medina's fish fertilizer. Once they start setting fruit, I'd be feeding them at least every couple of weeks to be sure they've got all the nutrient that they need. And provided that they got properly pollinated, uh, no reason the fruit should not go on and develop and ripen now they may not look exactly like the big old hoss and calavo avocados you get in the store but they sure do taste good but uh birds will get after them sometimes uh squirrels um raccoons things like that may get after them just as they do a lot of our stone fruit so you do have to keep an eye out for those guys but all i do is you know watch your watering carefully and uh and and be giving them a good deal of fertilizer and i you should get some uh you should get some good guacamole material this year. <laughs> good deal. 
And about two years ago, I talked to you about the Bosque pear, and you said you didn't really know. So I yep. wouldn't put it in the ground anyway. It's grown pretty good, and actually got five pears right now. Oh, very good. Very good. Well, I'll be well, interested like to, to hear, you know, how they mature, if they're up to their full size. And uh, I know you'll be, you'll be letting me know, so I really appreciate that, Clint. I'm hoping so. It's the, my better half's favorite pair, so I hope this tree's a home run. <laughs> well, pears are typically our longest-lived fruit trees, and, you know, everybody wants a soft pear, and it's just not going to happen in this part of Texas. All the soft pears are just way too susceptible to bacterial fire blight, but I know my grandfather used to make, oh, everything from pear chutney to he would uh, would can with the pears, and one of his favorite things uh, in doing canned pears, he had added sugar like everybody else, but then he'd uh, stick a couple little red hot candies in there, and uh, man, that sure does kids. That that was just uh, best thing we ever ate. We always wanted extra on the plate when uh, he got out a jar of those to serve. So uh, there are a lot of things you can do with pears, even uh, even if people don't think they're as good to eat fresh. I like them both ways, but. Uh, um, I'll be interested to hear how the Vosk does. I would certainly encourage you, if you don't already have them, to plant some kefirs, to plant some lacantes or moon gloves. Or, uh, there are lots of good pears out there, and some years the crop will be better than others, but uh, they are among the most blight-resistant, and it's not unusual for a pear tree to live 80 or 100 years, so you ought to be producing from them for a long time. I already got the two moon gloves growing, too, so... That's those good varieties. Well, keep me posted on how they do, and uh, you have a great week. You too. Take care. All right, Clint. Thank you so much. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, it's James. Good morning, James. Morning, Bob. How you doing? This morning. You know, it's just it. It was foggy at my house this morning, and very, very humid. But it's just a nice, warm spring morning. You can tell that summer's just right around the corner. I think we're going to be pushing ninety degrees from this point on most days. So, uh, uh, back to a little more typical weather for what we frequently get this time of year. Well, if you're going to hit 90, the sun's going to have to shine, so good luck with that. <laughs> well, we're going to have at least 90% humidity. We may have 90, 90 degrees as well. We'll see. Hey, the reason I called is I, I wanted to know how your green beans are doing. Oh. Um, I planted mine a little late. The plants are beautiful. Uh, I planted Tavera, which is my usual early crop. And uh, what was that one again, Bob? I didn't hear that. It's Tavera, T-A-V-E-R-A. It's a real thin bean. It produces, my gosh, I've never seen any any bush bean that produces as heavily as it does. And it's just such a delicious bean. Now, my experience is Tavera does not do well when it gets really hot. So, uh, as you well know, you're only going to be picking for 30 days maybe from a bush bean. So, Tavera is always my first bean. I'll probably plant some contenders next week. Uh, or top crop, one or the others to pick up when the Taveras start fading out. But uh, plants are beautiful. They just, they're not quite uh, not quite blooming and producing, but it won't be long. How are yours doing? Uh, yeah, they're they're starting to starting to bloom a little bit. Uh, I, I get them started, but it's a white-seeded easy pick. Uh-huh. I get them started in two-inch soil blocks, and then I, I get a pretty good stand that way. I, I, uh, I seed the blocks the 1st of uh, March. Put them on a heat mat, and then they're ready to go. Uh, well, that that certainly works. I, with Tavera, I direct seed in the garden, and I 
do very well, go and do just minimal thinning, but I bet you I got 90, 95% germination this year. Uh, I also planted uh, a few more black eyes than I usually do, and, you know, those things were up in three days. So uh, that soil's warming up pretty nicely out there. Yeah, it's it's starting to starting to come around. The um, um, I didn't realize it was going to be this cool this long in the spring, and right. and those um, Soraya sunflowers for cut flowers are are starting to uh, really starting to come on and uh, produce cut flower sunflowers. But they're they're not as big as as they should be, uh, and I think that's because of the, the just the lack of sun. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. Do you plant more than one crop, or you just uh, basically plant one one planting of them? Well, just one planting, and then uh, you know, give uh, do a little cut flowers at the roadside stand, and make sure all the lovely ladies get at least two or three. Oh, so. that's 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 what you got to do. Uh, those are early girls starting to produce for you. Man, that's the I put those on a. Um, a maxi fort rootstock, and that's right. the dead gumdest thing you ever seen. I wish I had a a phone that uh, that I could send you some pictures. They're uh, <laughs> they're they're really loaded. Um, in fact, I got a question. Yeah. If if I'm growing those to two heads on strings, uh, should I uh, prune any any more than six trusses of fruit per head? I don't think so. You know, I think run wild. I I pretty much let them go. You you'll get slightly larger fruit if you reduce the number. I I had a guy once tell me, uh, and this was a fisheries biology. We were talking about fish production in the lake, and he said, uh, you know that that size lake is gonna has capable of producing about a thousand pounds of fish. Now, do you want a thousand fish that weigh a pound a piece? Do you want ten thousand fish that weigh a tenth of a pound, or do you want five hundred fish that uh, weigh two pounds a piece? It's all in how you manage it, and that's sort of the way I feel about most things in the garden. That plant, uh, that tomato plant, I figure should produce at least fifty, sixty pounds of fruit, and you can either have more fruit of a slightly smaller size, or you can have a little fewer in number but a little bit bigger size, and. Uh, uh, that's kind of how I look at it. I mean, if you want to thin it down, it's kind of like, you know, growing, uh, um, well, go back to sunflowers. I know you grow yours for multiple flowers on a stem, but if you were looking to produce the biggest possible flower, you would disbud. You would take off every bud except that one bud that you let develop. So um, I think the choice is yours. If you're out to win the big tomato contest or if you're out to win a rose show, you take off every other fruit every other bloom except that one that you were planning to get the blue ribbon on and um it's it's just kind of in how you manage the crop if it were me i'd be going for volume over uh over you know particular size or weight or whatever i i care a whole lot more what it tastes like is uh, more than i do of how it looks or how big it is yeah that's good advice well i you know i say they're early girls but it because nobody knows the new variety. What they are, they're new girls. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the variety, but nobody knows anything <laughs> about that new tomato. So It's kind of like improved Myers lemon. Every lemon out there is an improved Myers lemon, but not everybody sticks improved on the on the front end of the name, so people don't. a lot of people don't realize they're one and the same. But, yeah, new girl, It's uh, uh, these seed companies, they just 
keep changing things around a little bit. I'm glad there's still some folks that are interested in the home gardener and are not just uh, breeding to have those rocks they call tomatoes and they just soften up. And uh, one thing about it, it sure does make your tomatoes look good when you compare them to what people are going to get anywhere other than the farmer's market. I tell you, I just... I just love the day when I can stop buying tomatoes in the grocery store and start picking them out of my own garden. Um, the sweet success cucumbers are, I let one go to almost two and a quarter pounds, yep. uh, the biggest your forearm. And that's uh, that doesn't hurt the flavor at all. That's that's really a good good cucumber, even when they get two pounds plus. Wow. And the, the texture texture still good on them, too? They don't yes, get tough sir. on you? It, no, no, it's it's just fine. Uh, I've been cutting them at about uh, two pounds, maybe a little over two pounds. Wow! And uh, man, they're just uh, you, you really can't beat that old English <laughs> cucumber sweet success. No, and I'm uh, I'm growing a different English cucumber, and uh, be darned if I can remember the name of it right this second. I'll let you know how it works out. Sweet success is still one of the best ones you'll find out there, and. Seed's a little expensive, but, man, the results you get are sure worth it. Man, I tell you what, I'd give you $10 a piece for the seed <laughs> the way this crop's coming in. <laughs> have, you, have you tried saving seed off of the sweet success? And uh, um, have you tried tried growing your own seed from that, see how no, it comes out? No, I, I don't want to have it blow up and then not have any... Uh, not have any uh, cucumbers, sure. so I'm scared. <laughs> well, as much room as you've got, well, and and you pretty much just grow one variety, don't you? Uh, you That's don't grow it. anything, yeah. So uh, it'd be very interesting. You need to save a little seed sometime, and just you know, take a little patch off in the corner and grow your experimental one, and see how it comes out. Who knows? You might get something even better. You might have the super success. Would have to would have to name one after you and uh, be growing a different cucumber. I'll try that. Maybe uh, some of my little helpers have some room for them. That would be just keep records and uh, keep that seed labeled. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. You know, you have a great uh, weekend, a good week. James, always a pleasure to visit with you, sir. We'll yes, talk sir. again soon. Okay. Bye. All right. Back to gardening. Back to the phones. It's Bill, Virginia, Pat, and Mike. And Bill's first. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing uh, today? Just a, just a humid, nice morning out there. It's going to be a bit okay. sultry when the sun comes out, but right now it's pretty darn pleasant. I uh, just calling about some tomato plants I got. I, I was at your tropical thing. Uh, yeah, a couple of weeks ago. Whenever it was, and I noticed that nine-foot-tall tomato <laughs> plant you got going up there. Growing up in that smart pot. Uh, okay. Uh, then the question I had, which I looked down at the bottom, and I listened and planted multiple tomato plants in different cages, but I never put them all together. And you got three little plants in that one little box, and that sucker's growing, isn't it? <laughs> well, um, you know, it's. I usually, I wasn't the one that planted that one, but I usually put two plants to a bigger cage you know those cages come two different diameters i want to say the smaller ones maybe 15 inches diameter the bigger ones 18 inches i put one plant uh, per cage in the smaller ones but i go ahead and put two and if the plants are really small i will even put three to uh, that bigger cage and i don't think it hurts them to crowd them just a little bit and uh 
Uh, I like having that nice thick foliage. All these folks from up north, thinner, they call it suckering the plants to get more sunlight to the interior of the plant. I want that dense foliage so my fruit doesn't sunburn. But, uh, yeah, I think in a big cage uh, you can put two or sometimes three plants in there, increase your harvest without causing any problems. Well, I think that day I got probably at least one, sometimes three, like Homestead. Yeah. And I put them together, but then I had Lemon Boys and uh, uh, that other, uh, what is it, Green Zebra? Well, there's Green Zebra, there's Purple Cherokee, there are many, many different ones out there. Yeah. But I put the last two I had was a Lemon Boy and the the green zebra and i put those two together just for color effect when <laughs> sure and they're going to grow about the same size i usually try to plant determinants with determinants and indeterminates with indeterminates because i don't see the sense of having a tomato that's going to grow eight feet tall and keep growing planted up against a tomato that's only going to get up to four feet and non-stop growing it's going to be kind of overcrowded overtaken by the bigger tomato so that's the only thing i really watch in planting them together you don't have to worry about cross-pollination or anything like that it's not going to affect the first generation so i just kind of take them as they come out of the tray uh, okay thank you bob you always welcome it's good to talk to you bill and it's virginia's turn now good morning virginia hi hi uh, i had turned on yesterday's show a little bit too late and you said that's interesting and y'all were talking about dragon fruit and i was just wondering what y'all were talking about well howard was down uh, in central america last week and uh he was he visited a plantation where they were growing dragon fruit and i'd never seen dragon fruit growing and he was talking about the fact that it is actually the edible seed pod that forms on a certain type of cactus uh, related to night blooming cirrus and epiphyllums and some things like that, and um, just he, he he found it really interesting. And uh, apparently, where he was visiting, they had quite an operation uh, producing the the dragon fruit. And uh, he was talking about uh, the fact that they get a very good price for it. There's not a lot of it on the market, but uh, uh, kind of a unique flavor. And we're just talking a bit about it in general. It is not cold hardy. Uh, you could certainly oh. grow it here, but you'd have to be able to bring those pots inside in the winter, just as you do with Christmas cactus and uh, um, the uh, so-called orchid cactus and things. Uh, those are beautiful plants, but they won't survive a hard freeze, and uh, dragon fruit is certainly in that category. Now, uh, the next thing I wanted to ask you was about, uh, I, I'm, I'm getting older now, and I'm planting everything in raised beds, you know, yeah. and and in pots and everything right and uh i wanted you i have to switch to from vines to bush type uh-huh. plants. yeah and i'm wondering how in the world i'm using that uh coconut core and how to make things grow you know this i don't know how much nutrition is in that but what fertilizer i would need to make this like real soil and to make the fruit uh, produce i'm trying to raise bigger well. Yeah, in in raised beds, you basically can have the same soil, use the same fertilizers, use the same growing techniques. You just are going to be switching in some cases to a a more bushy plant. As you say, bush beans, I've grown bush beans for years, largely because uh, the past few hot summers, they produce so much better than pole beans. Uh, They're bush cucumbers like Space Master that uh, uh, are just especially adapted for uh, raised bed growing, but 
the soil and and certainly core is a good thing to amend the soil with but you use exactly the same fertilizer and exactly the same growing techniques in your raised beds that you would if you were growing at ground level so uh, you don't really have to relearn anything you just have to be perhaps a little different in your plant selection okay um i had gotten some black crim last year and uh they didn't really do anything and they live through the winter really (laughs) (laughs) and they did and it turns out they're a cold weather tomato and you just throw a blanket on them you know they'll live and they start producing in the spring and i had one as big as my hand and a raccoon ate it oh (laughs) wow that's not very nice no, I don't know how to keep the raccoons off it. They have moved on for some reason or other, but I'm, and now i got a baby possum in the yard. <laughs> well, I, I just keep my live traps out, and they go live on a big piece of vacant property down the road for me when they show up. But, uh, yeah, they have some way of knowing they're going to get in there and get that fruit just the day before you were planning to pick it. And at possums, the same way. Possums can be very destructive in the garden. Fortunately, they're pretty easy to catch and relocate, but uh, um, uh, you put out the smorgasbord, and they're going to come dine on it, uh, whether you like it or not. So the only way around that would be to put you know, an electric fence wire or something like that all the way around your garden. And I don't know, I have so many weeds grow up right outside my garden, yeah. I would have a problem. I've, I've looked at ways to do that because electric fence is a great way to stop raccoons, and I usually put some up inside the garden uh, when I'm growing corn and things like that. But uh, it's it's an ongoing battle with the uh, four-legged critters and with the birds uh, who want to come around and, you know, not not even share. They want all your produce. So yeah, just going to have sure. to work that one out. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for your time, and you have a good show. Yeah, well, I appreciate it, Virginia. Thank you so much. All right, let's get back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Uh, Pat, Mike, Shirley, and Carla. Pat's first. Good morning, Pat. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. It's going to be one of those uh, sweaty days out there when we get back outside and start working. But, hey, you look at that calendar. We're getting into late May, and uh, this is Texas. Yep, do plenty of that. Sure. Yes, sir. All the time. Yeah. I got two quick questions. I grow a lot of oak trees from acorns. You're always talking about root flare. Right. When I take these out of the pots, do I need to try to do something special, or will they grow up from just fine? They will grow just fine. What you need to do when you repot them into the next size pot up, um, you need to check two things. You first of all need to be sure you're not burying it any deeper than it was already growing. In other words, your new pot, you know, put the appropriate amount on the soil on the bottom. So when you put the plant in there, that all you have to do is fill in around the sides. Secondly, if you get busy and things stay in the small pot a little longer than you had planned, uh, you need to check for any girdling roots, any roots that are circling around the pot. And anywhere you find that, just take your pruners and snip them. That will not set the trees back that much, and it will produce or will prevent root girdling in the future. But the reason we have so much problems, and it's a great question, but uh, a few years back, the wholesale tree growers went from paying their workers by the hour to paying them per piece. They got X amount of money for every tree they planted up. So all of a sudden, the emphasis was on speed, not doing it right. And these days, your commercial growers, uh, you know, the help out there is grabbing that pot, stick it in the bottom of a can, dump a bunch of soil around it, and move on to the next one, which means every time that tree gets repotted, it's probably getting buried 
deeper by about four inches at a time. So by the time it reaches the nursery and by the time the uh, final, you know, the end user gets it, it's already planted so deeply in the pot. You're doing it right, I'm sure. As you go from pot to pot, you know, you put that amount of soil in the bottom of the pot so that the root soil service stays the same and you'll be doing it right and not have a thing in the world to worry about, Pat. It, It doesn't really matter whether that acorn starts out an inch deep or three inches deep, the trunk will develop properly. You will develop the root flare at the proper point. So all you have to watch is as you can it up, you probably go from a four inch to a gallon to a five gallon to a 15 gallon. I don't know how long you keep your trees in containers, but just be sure every time you repot that, uh, that you're putting soil underneath to the point that you only have to fill in around it. And when in doubt, it's better to have it planted a little too high than have it planted a little too low. Yeah, well, I never repot them. I just try to put them in the ground. Okay. I plant usually 50 to 100 of them every year and try to move them out on my property. I'm down in South Texas, and there's no oaks on my property. And I, <laughs> I've probably got over 200 growing out there on their own now, and I'm always putting them out there. I just was curious. You always talk about the root flare. Sure. Well, you're the Johnny Appleseed of the oak tree world, but you're doing it right. The only thing I would really encourage you to do and uh, is look around and find some different oak species rather than planting 100% live oaks. Uh, mix know, in some, got, yeah, some burrs, some chinkapins. Yeah. My burr oaks do extremely well. I'm really impressed with them. They'll grow three or four feet a year. Yes, sir. And I'm I'm liking them more and more all the time over the live oaks. I mean, they just outperform them. I, I've planted live oaks that are uh, just two or three feet tall. And I've planted burr oaks that same year, and they're 12, 14 feet tall. Yeah, well, for me, it's just diversity, because the more diverse your tree canopy is, the more insulated you are against what we call species-specific diseases. In case all of a sudden we get a burr oak blight that decides to kill out all the burr oaks, you'll be real glad you have the live oaks. And if you... Yeah. Different types going. My other question was... My tomato bushes are huge, big, and thick as they can be, but very little tomatoes. What can I do to help get more fruit on them? Uh, Just pray for the proper nighttime temperatures. Tomatoes have been slow-setting fruit because up until a week or so ago, our, our nighttime temperatures were several degrees below typical temperatures and your big fruited tomatoes especially there's really a relatively narrow range of temperature where they will set fruit and things like this so-called blossom sets a total waste of time you get a little pea-sized tomato that never amounts to much i think you're going to find you know a week 10 days from now that all of a sudden your your plants are just loading up with fruit because our night temperatures have really warmed up significantly we just have to hope they don't go too high too soon because high temperatures inhibit uh fruit set on big large fruited tomatoes as well so uh you're strictly looking at a weather issue nothing you can or should do differently all right i'm just curious i've got the best tomato bushes i've ever i talked to you <laughs> earlier about the tea, about putting the tea grounds on them right and i've been getting about uh eight to ten five gallon buckets of tea grounds every week and putting them in my garden area and it's really made a difference how the stuff's growing but i just want to get a lot of fruit set well oh, i appreciate your time i've got to get going i got an archery shoot to do you uh yeah <laughs> you get back to work and you call me whenever you whenever i can help you mike so or pat it's always a pleasure and i'll move on to mike good morning mike good morning bob good morning, uh, sir. looks like the sun's gonna break through this haze Mm-hmm. and we're and, all gonna uh, sweat yeah you're welcome to sweat right uh, I've got a couple of questions for you to scratch your head about. 
Okay. Uh, the first is on my pecan tree. Uh, I have noticed over the past years, uh, many times, uh, the leaves would have a uh, uh, a bulge in them. Uh, mm-hmm. Looked like little, about the size of uh, uh, two BBs. Yeah, yeah. That's a that is a type of gall. In the case of pecans, it's probably a little insect. Totally harmless to the tree. Not much you could do about it if you wanted to. And uh, it's funny too. You'll sometimes see one tree that almost every leaf has a gall on it, and the tree right next to it has none. But uh, it's it's in uh, a gall simply refers to an abnormal growth of tissue can be caused by, you know, bacteria can be caused by insects can be caused by a lot of different things. In the case of the pecans, it's a little insect gall and it is totally harmless to the tree and not to be worried about. Well, I've seen it for years and I've always scratched my head. It it looks like they come out in the middle of the leaf (laughs) and protrude on both sides. Right. Right. Well, okay. I've, uh, uh, I'm going to do some trimming on that tree because uh, I've got some low branches. But I have another question on uh, some uh, uh, morning glories. I have a package of morning glory seeds. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, blue stars uh, refers to uh, uh, a, a blue. Yeah. A blue uh, morning glory. Right. And it says on here thrives uh, best in poor dry soil. Well, I think the people that package a seed don't really know what poor is. When you live in Tennessee or wherever, poor soil is what we would consider outstanding soil. Um, I, I don't think morning glories do any better in, you know, really poor soil, but I, I they will tolerate uh, less than perfect soils. But, you know, just your garden soil is going to be just fine for growing morning glories, just uh just remember that uh, they're beautiful in the morning, and then those blooms pretty much close up and go away when afternoon comes around. They definitely need something to climb on, and they are quite vigorous growers. They can grow, you know, a couple of feet a week when they're in active growth. So just plant them. My business partner plants them in a pot at the basis of a, at the base of an outside stairwell and uh or stairway and uh those things are almost all the way up to the landing before summertime gets here so morning glory is a lot of fun to plant real easy to grow but just just grow them in your normal garden soil yes okay i've got some grandpa ots uh, beautiful purple yeah uh, i planted a couple of years ago and they come back every year just out of a little pot and it seems that they'll grow right out of the the tile uh, patio here and they that's the one problem with grandpa it's it's a beautiful color but they can almost become invasive uh your blue star heavenly blue is an older variety uh those are fun to grow too in fact i like planting some of the white ones mixed in with them as well it's just they're they're just a pretty old-fashioned annual flower that reseeds many years so uh, you enjoy I will, and you have a good day, and thank you for the call. Always a pleasure, Mike. Thank you, sir. All right, back to gardening. One line open. Grab it if you like, 210-599-5555. We're talking to Shirley and Carla and Sharon, and Shirley's first. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning. How are you this morning? Oh, just doing really well. How about you? (laughs) Oh, well, if I get the answer to my question, I'll be doing great. I'll do my best. Well, we planted some Monterey oak trees in a yard that was bad 
badly in need of trees. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had the sprinkler system go crazy. And one spigot sprayed on this one tree all day. Okay. And then we had all of this rain. Now, I, I looked at the, went to water the trees after two weeks of no water. And the ground was as hard as cement around it. Mm-hmm. So we chopped into it. I noticed that a few of the leaves are getting just a little yellow. And some of the leaves have this little brown rim around the edge. Which indicates you've got so, just very minor root problems. How long have those trees been in the ground? Uh, about a couple of months. Okay. If you want to soften the soil around the trees, now you never pile anything up around the uh, trunk of the tree, but if you put an inch or two of uh, either a good living mulch, which simply means just plain old shredded up mulch with a little bit of compost with it, Put an inch or two of that on the surface of the soil or even three or four inches around the trees just a little ways away from the trunk, and that soil will become so soft uh, literally within 30 to 60 days that it will absorb moisture a whole lot better, and uh, your trees will do even better. What What I always tell people about watering is there's no thing as too much water, but there is too often and you're going to need to, I don't really consider most trees well-established for a couple of years, but it's in the hot weather, you may be watering them every four or five days. In the winter months, it may be every two or three weeks. But uh, watering by hand, uh, much as I hate to say it, is always going to be one of the better ways to water trees because sprinkler systems are made to water grass, and you'd have to let that sprinkler run for several hours to really get the water deeply enough into the soil to really benefit those trees. So just set aside a few minutes uh, once a week or so to get out there with the hose, turn it on slowly, and really give those trees a thorough soaking. Do be sure the root flares are exposed and get that mulch well, over the root zone because that's going to make that soil just incredibly much softer around them. Well, the man that came to plant them, I bought them at a garden shop in Yoakum. Okay. And the man that came to plant them, he seemed to me was putting too much dirt on them. Uh Uh-huh. And I said, you know, you need to let that root flare. Oh, well, the water's going to wash that dirt away. It'll be fine. And when he said it in the plant, I said, do you think maybe you need to cut some of those roots? No, they're fine. We we uh, move our trees every year from pot to pot to larger pot. Mm-hmm. So he said, you don't have, <laughs> he and I were not having a very good conversation. Well, but. his other words, I don't want to be bothered to do it the right way. <laughs> I'm going to do whatever's easiest, but um, I, you know, how were these trees in 15-gallon containers? How big were the containers? Uh, they, I don't think it was that big that the the trunks are maybe two to three inches in diameter okay and uh no they weren't they weren't that big but uh now if we put this this mixture of compost mulch on them and the soil gets softer would it be advisable then to pull some of that soil away oh it would be advisable to pull it away wash it away uh, do it as quickly as soon as you can. If you just, if nothing more than just putting your thumb over the end of the hose and you know softening it, softening it up, 
um, your trees will speed up incredibly in growth, and you'll have a lot fewer issues once you get that root flare exposed. So uh, just do it as soon as you can. I realize with hard soil, it's harder to do. It will be easier to do after the soil is softened up. But if it means just getting it good and wet so that you can do it a little bit sooner, that's fine as well. Okay, now, so you need to get down where you can see the roots come away from the trunk. Right, the big roots, not little fine, you know, feathery roots, but the actual big supporting roots of the tree. And in the meantime, too, remember that a young tree like that still has smooth bark, at least on the upper portion. It will absorb a lot of moisture directly through the bark. So when you go out to water, take a second, again, thumb over the end of the hose, and just spray up and down the trunk and limbs. That is the fastest way I know to help your tree get well-established more quickly. Now, if you put maybe like a a hose with a soaker end on it in there for like 20 minutes or something, would that give a sufficient amount of water for it? It certainly should. Um, I would say, you know, if you've got a bubbler or whatever on the end, that should be quite adequate. Okay, now he said to water them every few days and to put reeds root stimulator on them every couple of weeks well i you know i i always like something like garrett juice much more than i like root stimulator i i hate ever trying to set a watering schedule based on every few days or every three days or whatever else simply feel the soil when the soil is pretty dry on the surface it's time to water again on a warm windy day that's going to dry out a whole lot faster than it is on an overcast high humidity day so One week, you might have to water them every four days, and next week, you might be able to go seven or eight days between waterings. Um, You just simply can't water by the calendar if you're going to do a good job. It's just a matter of using the best moisture meter in the world, which is your index finger, and watering when the soil's soil's dry an inch deep on the top. You can bet it's dry down deeper as well. Okay. Now, if the leaves continue to turn yellow, would it be good to put some garret juice on it? It'd be good to put some garret juice on it regardless. Just substitute that for root stimulator. If okay. the older leaves are yellowing, it's not all that abnormal, especially this time of year. If the newer growth seems to be yellowed, you need to increase your fertilizer and perhaps put some green sand or magic sand around it. Okay. If I have another question. Uh, I got some little seedlings from the Arbor Society right. last year, and I planted them. And two of them survived. One of them is a crepe myrtle, and another one is a uh, redwood tree. Okay. Now, the crepe myrtle seems to have some of that pottery mildew on it. That's pretty much normal. Uh, I would ignore it. It's going to go away when it gets hot and dry. If you want to spray it with a little corn water tea, you can. Uh, The redbud is probably an eastern redbud that's a so-so marginal tree for this area. Plant it where it's not where it's going to get water when it's dry. But most red buds that have a problem, it's from staying too wet. And much as I like the Arbor Day Society, they're just totally wasting people's time sending out these trees because they don't make it specific to the region of the country. And most of them simply are not trees that will do well in our area. So uh, uh, give them a shot, but you know, don't be too terribly surprised if they have problems. And mildew, as soon as we get hot and dry, that's not going to be an issue. And some of the newer varieties wouldn't even have it to begin with. And if you dial quickly, there is actually one line available. We're going to talk with Carla and Linda and Lynn, and then you. And um, 
gosh, you know, there's just so many things to talk about. We'll remind you next Saturday, Festival of Flowers. You've been hearing ads for it here on KTSA. And uh, we're going to do a couple of things a little differently this year. Uh, we're not going to have an organic roundtable simply because we don't have a good venue for it over there. They just uh, they don't have the big uh, program rooms that we used to have out at the Alsafar. So rather than fight the noise and the crowding and everything uh, that we, we tried to work through last year, we just decided that uh, we'll take a little time off till we find a better place for the organic round table but you're still going to have all of your favorite events the citywide plant exchange gonna have the saws giveaway for gosh i don't think they ever run out of plants but a free plants for everyone as they come through the door you can have some great programs where you can earn some water saver reward points it's going to be the usual great festival of flowers and once again over at the austin highway event center which is uh, maybe a mile inside Loop 410 on Austin Highway there on the east side of the road. Look for the signs. Um, you really can't miss it. And uh, sure, if you come out and join us, I'll be broadcasting there early Saturday morning and uh, look forward to seeing you there. Well, let's get back to the phone lines and uh, Carla's up first. Good morning, Carla. Good morning. Good morning. I have a, a follow-up to the dragon fruit okay. um, discussion and and a sort of related question. Um, yeah, when I was down in the valley, the Rivers End yeah, Nursery for, down there in Bayville, right. they, they grow dragon fruit, and I was on a tour once and saw how it grows there. Well, I was uh, at, we were, my business partner and I were at a uh, seminar uh, down there for nurserymen, and they actually brought samples, and they grow not just dragon fruit, but a wide range of unusual and exotic fruits, and uh, exactly. uh, Rivers Inn Nursery is a, a great place, and really, really nice people, too. I really, really like and respect them. They were they were growing Texas avocados before anybody else even heard about Mexican avocados, so good company. Anybody happens to be down in that area. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and, you know, I have brought back plants when um i came back to san antonio and i don't always know exactly what i've got Mm -hmm. and on my carport i had a long uh, plant it it does look a little like the um oh what's the one that howard was saying it looked like yesterday the um the dragon anyway okay yeah anyway all of a sudden i had beautiful white blossoms on it and then it formed into the dragon fruit. So they actually do. This was a couple of years ago, and it mm-hmm. was one of those winters that didn't freeze right. back real hard. And um, and so they do grow here in San Antonio if you're um, if you give them winter protection. If, yeah. yeah, yeah, on a on a warm winter. Um, and related to that, I have some succulents and cactus that have you know, sort of rotted on one end at the, either at the top or at the root. And that's when it's at the root, I'm trying to figure out, you know, there is still a good section of it. And I'm wondering whether to cut that off and make a start or, uh, and try to propagate a new plant or, whether I've lost it. Well, it's the, the prognosis is not real good because the part that you see that is deteriorating, and it can be fungal, although more often it is a bacterial rot that gets in there, and it's spread a lot further than you can see. I Believe it or not, one of the best um, methods of controlling uh, some of these rots is with cinnamon. 
And okay. if the um, if it's an epiphytic cactus, the kind that have the kind of elongated flat pads, right. um, I, well, really, I guess any of them. I think you were wise because if you don't if you don't do something, it's just going to rot and die for sure. I would cut it off just above the point that it is rotten. I would dust it pretty heavily with cinnamon. I would let it dry for a week or two. It does what we call callousing over, where it seals over and hopefully excludes further problems after that if it were mine i would probably root it in perlite then go back into soil a cactus mix that drains well and uh, just try to address whatever problem it was that caused it to begin rotting in the first place but uh, yeah i would cut it i would treat it uh, probably with cinnamon i would dry it a little sulfur something else you can dump uh, dust on there as well if you like and uh, once that end is thoroughly sealed and calloused uh, which probably will take a week or more for cacti. Then I would put it in the sterile medium, either sand or perlite, to get some roots on it, and then repot it. And it's going to work on some of them. It's not going to work on others, but you've got nothing to lose. I'd certainly give it a try. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, and I do encourage people to grow those dragon fruits. It's it's like a sensation that you just don't get anywhere else to grow one of those things and, and cut it open and, and you don't have to you pay know if you, you don't if have you to pay ten dollars a pound for it either yeah exactly <laughs> carla have a wonderful day and i appreciate thank the you. call thank Take you care. okay bye all right linda's up next then it will be lynn and ricky good morning linda good morning how are you i'm great how about you today wonderful good um i had an avocado tree that i was growing from seed uh-huh and it got to be about two feet tall. I planted it in the ground where it was getting not full sun, but some. And uh, it grew for about, I don't know, maybe eight months. And then it started getting cold. Mm-hmm. And we had that 23-degree winter right. in December. Or right. May in December. And it started turning black and brittle. So I was just pinching off the top of it. And... It, I didn't want to give up. My husband came out and pulled it up out of the ground, and I took it away from him and stuck it back down in the ground. And um, my little sister has, she not only has a green thumb, she's got a green body. She can grow anything, (laughs) anywhere, anytime. Well, she passed away in February, and I noticed a few days ago that stick sticking up out of the ground has got two little branches with leaves coming off, off of it. Okay. And I think she did it. Well, I won't argue with uh, powers that we don't understand, but two things you have to recognize about growing an avocado from a seed um, is that they are not cold hardy, and unless you can protect them, um, they're going to freeze and die if we have a real hard freeze. You're fortunate that yours came back out, but if it had been 19 degrees, even with your sister's help, it probably would not have survived. (laughs) The second thing is... When you buy an avocado, and hopefully you get one of more of the cold-hardy varieties when you actually buy the tree, you're getting a tree that has matured, and it is able, physiologically able to produce fruit at any time. When you plant an avocado from a seed, it may take 8 to 10 years before that tree is mature enough to bloom and produce fruit. It may be 20 feet tall before it is uh, is capable of making flowers and making fruit. So it wow. is a long wait from uh, same thing growing a peach tree, growing a grapefruit tree, growing almost any 
perennial plant from seed, it can be a long wait for flowers and fruit. Now, I still think it's fun to do. That's the only way we get anything new is by diversifying the what we call the genotype, the genetic makeup of the plant. And that doesn't happen when you graft or when you do cuttings oh, with rare exceptions. So I love seeing people grow things from seed, but many people put five years into the project and get frustrated when um you know not knowing that it may take eight years to see the first fruit so as long as you know what you're getting into from the get-go i think it's a fun thing to do but if you're planning on uh, eating a lot of good avocados grapefruit or whatever else um a grafted tree uh or a very mature tree grafted tree tree grown from a cutting a budded tree whatever those are the ones that are going to give you fruit a whole lot faster to enjoy well i have a lot of patience and i know that heb sells avocados so (laughs) and i love i love guacamole too so um, i think it's fun to grow these things but i just uh i want everyone to have realistic expectations and to fully understand what they're doing and after that you make the decision and uh um more power to you i uh, uh just remember you know hopefully it'll be a while before we see another 23 degree day but oh, yeah. uh your yeah. your sister may have moved on to another part of the cosmos and she may not be close by to help you out next time around she's here in spirit absolutely <laughs> absolutely thank you you're welcome linda i appreciate the call thank you all right uh from linda to lynn good morning lynn Good morning. I have a question about a Meyer lemon tree. Okay. My son gave me one for Mother's Day, and so I want to take care of it properly. Good. And I, uh, does it need to be in full sun? The more sun, the better it will do. Yes, the more sun, the better it will do. Um, A tree grown in the shade is a prettier tree, but it's not as strong, and it does not produce nearly as much fruit as a tree out in the sun. Myers lemons, other citrus trees are not things of great beauty. So your leaves are going to be a little lighter green. Your tree may uh, look a little bit more like a tough survivor, but that's what's going to produce the best lemons for you. Okay. Would it be all right to plant it in a molasses tub? Absolutely. With lots of holes drilled in the bottom? Um, absolutely. I would drill a bunch of holes in the bottom. Um, you recognize that Myers Lemon is uh, cold hardy down to about 26 degrees, so you will have to protect it. And a molasses tub full of soil is probably going to weigh 250 pounds. So uh-huh. it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be real portable. That's the reason that many times we grow them in pots rather than planting them directly in the soil is so that we can move them inside if it gets severely cold. Unless you uh-huh. have a son or a husband that's a former football player that uh, lifts cars <laughs> just for fun, uh, molasses stuff, <laughs> you're going to work to get it moved around. You can use a little hand truck, a little dolly or something right. like that, but... Uh, um, just recognize that most of the time you're going to end up covering it uh, rather than trying to move it, which is going to be fine as long as we don't get really cold, meaning well down into the teens. So as long as you are prepared to give that gift a little more wintertime protection, you can start baking him a lemon meringue pie on every Mother's Day or something to reward him for being so thoughtful. He would he would like that uh, for winter protection. Could I create like a plastic pipe and heavy plastic structure to fit over it that you know I could disassemble? 
you can create a structure to put over it, but I would not make one out of plastic pipe. Many times our our colder weather comes along with a high wind, and your oh, plastic yeah. structure may very well be down the street in the neighbor's yard, um, and your your tree will be left defenseless. I, I love greenhouses. I love uh, properly built structures, but these little Internet wonders are um, I wouldn't give you two cents for them. Uh, places like Fanix have better made little, um, dwarf, they call them pop-up greenhouses, uh, right. greenhouses, et cetera, here in San Antonio, make some very good quality, uh, aluminum and metal greenhouses. It will last many, many, many years. So yes, you can create a structure to protect it. But it's not going to be made out of PVC um, okay. unless you've got unless you've got a steel rebar going down the inside of every one of those tubes. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that's possible. Uh, my other question is the soil that I put in the container. Do do I need to buy a potting mix? Can I just use garden soil with lots of compost? The garden soil with some compost is much much better. Uh, and okay. if you buy a potting mix, stay strictly away from these miracle grow products and things right. like that. They're mainly right. Canadian peat moss with chemical fertilizer in them. So a good garden soil, and if you can fortify it with a little bit more manure-based compost, that would be an ideal mix for your lemon tree and just about anything else you want to plant. Now, a lemon tree in a molasses tub, that's going to be starting out at least a small tree in a big pot. Have some fun and plant some bush beans around it or plant some little dwarf tomatoes, some of the tumbling tom and some of those that almost trail. Plant them around the edge and let them grow over the side. Um, don't waste the space. You've got that nice big pot. You've got some nice good soil, and your lemon tree won't mind a little company down there at the bottom. Okay. Can, can I put some mulch in there if I don't put it up next to the trunk? Exactly. That'd be perfect. Okay, and then just use uh, Medina Growing Green. How often? Well, I would probably in in a pot. I like a liquid fertilizer. Oh, uh, Medina makes has to grow or the Medina Fish uh, fertilizer. Either of those are liquids that will work very well for your Myers lemon. And how often should I do that? Uh in the summer months I do it every two to three weeks. In the winter months I do it every four to six weeks. Okay, okay. And then I have a question about cucumbers. Okay. Some of the leaves uh, have some yellowing on them, mm -hmm. and I didn't know if that was because they were get staying a little too wet when we were having the everyday rain. Is it the newer or, leaves or the older leaves that are yellowed? Uh, it's the larger, older leaves. They probably actually have gotten a little too dry at some point. Um, oh, okay. But they, nobody's cucumbers are pretty this year. Uh, if they're out okay. in our Texas weather, but uh, um, cucumbers don't have to be pretty to produce lots of good produce. So right. it's uh, I would not worry about it as long as the new growth looks good. Remember, too, on cucumbers that the first several flowers that open are going to be male flowers. So don't be surprised when they don't form a cucumber. But uh, after about five to 15 flowers per vine, You'll start having uh, female flowers produced, which you can identify because it looks like there's kind of like a little bitty, itty bitty miniature cucumber right, right at the base of the flower. If that flower gets properly pollinated, you're on your way to good uh, pickable cucumbers. Well, I've already made my first batch of pickles from the cucumbers, <laughs> so I want to keep the vines healthy. 
in the past, we've had trouble with uh, powdery mildew getting oh, yeah. on the yeah. on the leaves. And and if you'll refresh my memory, what I should do for that? Well, you can uh, spraying with garlic will help prevent it. Uh, but garlic okay. also may be repellent to the bees, so you have to be careful to use it at a time when the bees aren't real active. Um, better still is to get some whole ground cornmeal, soak that in water overnight, and use that to spray the leaves. Now, I would advise you, I've never seen anyone who had cucumber plants that lasted all summer. I would uh, I would get some fresh plants started, you know, just move a little okay. ways over or start some um, plants in pots or something because as much as you like pickles, as much as you like cucumbers, you're probably going to plant two or three sets of, uh, of seeds over the summer months to keep those cucumbers coming all the way up through October. Oh, okay. See, we've never been able to keep them going all summer, Well, that's, theoretically, that's, you can. You can do it that way. Just be sure you're getting a heat-tolerant variety. You know, national pickling, uh, poinsettes, straight eights, there are a lot of good old-fashioned cucumbers. It'll be fine if you plant them the 1st of July. So just plan on planting uh, some additional seed rather than expecting those vines to go all summer, which just simply is not going to happen in South Texas. Yeah, well, we have the National Pickling, and the other variety we're trying this year is Muncher, Mm -hmm. and it's doing well. Uh, Is that one that will tolerate heat or not? Eh, That will tolerate a fair amount of heat, yeah. And what about Sumter? I don't know that one. I've not grown that one. You'll have to report back to me on that one. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much for your help. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Lynn. Thank you. All right, let's get back to the phone lines, and uh, Ricky's first. Good morning, Ricky. Morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I have a question. I have two uh, McIntosh apple trees and a Moonglow pear tree. Okay. And uh, they've been in the ground for about a couple of months already, and, um, you know, the root flares exposed, all that good stuff. But now I'm having a, t- a problem with the leaves. The, the edges of the leaves all the way around the perimeter are getting, like, brown and dried up. Okay, and this is on the apple and on the pear? Yes, sir. More on the apple trees, but also on the pear tree. Okay. And you said Macintosh apple? Yes, sir. Okay. Macintosh? That, yeah, that one's not going to grow here. I, you know... Well, I'm, I'm about two hours south of San Antonio. I'm sorry. Well, you need to be about uh, 20 hours north of San Antonio to grow a Macintosh apple. Okay. Uh, apples are... There are only a handful of apple trees that are low chilling that will get enough cold to actually produce apples here. Most of them were developed in Israel, and they have names like Einshimmer and Lodine and Gravenstein and things like that. Macintosh, Red Delicious, um, if you're not at least north of Oklahoma and better still further north, uh, that's the kind of issue you're going to see and probably is going to get worse before it gets better. I mean, give it a try. Who knows? I guess the thing I would hope most for is that the trees were mislabeled and they were actually a yellow delicious or an Anna or something like that that does do well in this area. The Moonglow pear is an excellent pear for this area. Now, recognize that pears need cross-pollination, so you either need a neighbor with a pear tree or you need to go ahead and get a uh a for a comiche a douglas uh um there there are lots of different 
good pairs out there, but you're going to have to have a second one, at least in the neighborhood, uh, in order to get production from that. Pear trees are more damaged to buy too much water than buy too little. Now, your trees have just been in a couple of months, so you're going to need to watch your watering carefully. You don't want to let them get too dry. And as I told the caller earlier about uh, some different trees, uh, a young tree will absorb a lot of moisture directly through its bark. So when you water, take that hose and just spray up and down over all the limbs. Uh, years ago, when I worked with my friend Alton Grimm, we sold a lot of fruit trees and bare root fruit trees. We'd go out. We only watered when they needed it, but we hosed down the top of those trees five, six times a day, and it really got them off to a lot faster start. So on your pear, I want you to water really thoroughly, but be sure you're not watering too often. Spray that tree every chance you get but uh, let that soil get dry a good inch deep between waterings Um, when you see that little brown on the edge you know you've got a little bit of root damage and in the case of a pear it's probably staying a little bit wetter than it should i'd be using a little uh, has to grow or something like that on every couple of weeks and it should come out make a good pear tree to live 100 years for you okay i see okay would it be a good idea i mean Evidently, if these trees ain't gonna, if these apple trees ain't gonna, I can uproot them and and in their place I can put some more uh, pear trees. What would be a, uh, a good pear tree, you know, for this area? Well, besides you know something with, with a different variety than the moonglow. Uh, kefir, K E I F F E R, is a very good tree. Orient, O R I E N T, Orient is a very good tree. Um, there's a play a, a pear tree called Monterey, Monterey if you prefer. Uh, that is a very good pair for this area. These are all pairs that uh, are very resistant to fire blight. When we look for pairs, we look for fire blight rating more than anything else. And uh, those are all good fire blight resistant pairs. There are others. There's Douglas. There's Comiche. But uh, Orient, Kiefer, those are probably two of the most commonly available. There's a relatively new variety called Warren, W-A-R-R-E-N, that I've seen people do very well with as well. All right, then. I appreciate it. Okay, now let me tell you one other thing. If you want to grow apples, you can certainly grow apples. But what you need to do is get a low-chilling apple. And you want to look for, you can't grow red delicious, but if you want to grow yellow delicious, you can. Uh, There's one called Summer Champion. There's one called Beverly Hills. Uh, They're the Israeli apples that I mentioned, like Lodi, L-O-D-I, Gravenstein, um, you can certainly grow apples here, but unfortunately they're not going to be the names you see in the store because those are all trees that like much colder weather than we're ever going to have here. Thank goodness. Yes, sir. Yeah. Or after they were in the ground, I started looking up the, at the little paper and I said it needed 800, 900 chilling hours. I was like, Oh, that's not good. Well, and if you're south of San Antonio, you're about 400 hours of chilling. So yes, <laughs> it'd be a lot of dry ice spread around to try to chill those trees down, and uh, <laughs> it, it, it's not going to work. So uh, good luck with it all. You call me anytime I can help, Ricky. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay, let's go ahead and talk to Anne Marie. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. It's going to be a wonderful Sunday if it is a little humid out there. It is. I'm sure enjoying this incredible spring that we've had and this slow start to summer and all this water. It's just been an amazing place. It it has, and every year is different. Welcome to Texas. Exactly. So I have a comment, and I do have a question. Okay. Uh, my comment first is on the lady with the Myers lemon. Mm-hmm. Mom, the you know, my lemon drop, I've had it for eight years now, and it's in a big clay pot that I got from... Uh, just for pots right now it's permanent home 
And what I have done with it in and in eight years, we've had some pretty good cold snaps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I put in four rebar pieces mm-hmm. in the pot. This is in the winter. I'll put in four rebar pieces, and then I use the insulate. I wrap the whole pot, everything. Before I wrap it, I put in, um, I bought one of those halogen, um, just a steak mm-hmm. light right. for the uh, high, you know, light for in the yard. A small, It's small. And I stick that in there and run a cord and then wrap the whole thing in insulate and uh, use clothespins, wrap it around the pot. Sure. Um, so the wind doesn't take it the first time I had the wind take it because I did it wrong, <laughs> but the rebar kept the wind from taking yeah. the whole thing. And, and the insulate so it does gave it a little bit of structure. Yeah. Um, so, well, the insulate went over, but it's not going over in this pot. Let me tell you. Very good. <laughs> and so that has kept me through, uh, you know, so far. So good. Well, realize that realize that lemon drop is a variety that is more cold hardy than uh, Myers lemon. So ah, you okay. you're going to have better luck. Now that sounds like a good plan for wrapping, um, but uh, Myers lemon is going to be a little bit more sensitive, and Tricky. there will come the winter that just wrapping is not enough. You have to provide some supplemental heat. Uh, your halogen bulbs are. Uh, they're a good light source, but you need an old bulb with a tungsten filament if you're going to get more uh, warmth out of it. Even an old heat lamp will do. But hopefully, it's not going to happen often or soon. But uh, I like how your rebar. Halogen, yeah, how about the halogen still? You know what? And if it's a small enough tree or just tall enough rebar, if if you could reach it, you could just put even like just a small piece of wood or something along those. Oh, sure, sure. Just, you know, and then put the insulate. But right. what about if you keep the halogen inside and you put it, because the heat lamp would be too big for me to put mm-hmm. inside. Well, I guess if you stake it in the ground and yep. then. Uh, I, I just it, don't but like. But you to, might get the insulate too tight. Uh, yeah, I don't like, I don't like using electricity in wet situations. So this is something yep. I'm going to use as an emergency measure only. And I'm going to take that uh, that cord, that socket, everything else out, except on the uh, in the very coldest season of the year. So, yeah, you're a creative person, and different people have I've heard some really good ideas and some really strange ideas over the years. But as long as you mm-hmm. keep your plants protected, that's all that all that really matters. Well, what what yeah. question can I answer for you? My question is, my someone gave me a gardenia, which I would not mm-hmm. have ever purchased for myself because I have no luck with gardenias. <laughs> and so I need some help. I've got, um, it's starting to put on new buds after having been transplanted and had lost everything. But some of the buds are falling off. They're not any particular color. They just are on the ground. Well, that's almost normal for gardenias, especially one that's been recently transplanted. Uh, okay. Does yours have a varietal name on it? Does it, it say didn't August? Come with anything? Okay, it came with a candle. Okay, <laughs> well, uh, there there are a large number of different gardenias, and quite frankly, some of them do well, some of them don't. If you ever have any say. And what you're getting, and I realize never look a gift horse in the mouth, as they say. But uh, if you get a variety called August Beauty, that is the one that in this area uh, has performed most consistently for people that I talk to. In general, gardenias like uh, rich soil, 
Uh, they will take morning sun, but they do not like hot afternoon sun. And I would be spraying them fairly regularly with garlic when they have buds on them because uh, this little thrips insect can get inside of the buds and damage the flowers before they even open. And that's why we grow gardenias is for that wonderful fragrance. But you can grow gardenias actually fairly well here. But just remember, morning sun only, good rich soil, and get the right variety. And uh, my favorite variety that I've seen perform best here happens to be August Beauty. Mystery will do okay, but some of these florist varieties, just they need to go back to Alabama where they came from. Yeah, and I'm afraid that's what it might be because yeah. it did come from a florist. But I'll try my best and not take it personally. And you call me anytime <laughs> I can be of help, Anne-Marie. I appreciate the suggestions and the and the question. Thanks. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Thank you. Bye. All right. Right back to the phone lines, and it's Anna's turn. Good morning, Anna. Hey. Hi, Bob. How are you? I'm doing well, getting ready for a horse horseback ride well you midwesterners know how to get out and enjoy enjoy life well we got to do it when it's not raining (laughs) i think we know that same feeling in texas this year yep that's true um i got some issues i really don't know what i want to ask so i'm just going to put it out there and see what we can figure out i've got enough space now where we want to plant some fruit trees Mm -hmm. and Supplies are really pretty limited, and good nursery businesses are pretty limited out here, so I'm kind of restricted to what's available. And I'm trying to – I don't quite understand. If some if a tag says in the, you know, the fruit, we're, we're talking uh, peaches and cherries, is good for Zone 6, which we're in, does the chilling hours – how does the chilling hours play in? What's going to be my most important uh, – uh, thing to consider when trying to figure out whether a tree is going to do well here or not. Well, yeah, that's a great question. Plant hardiness zone has zero to do with chilling hours. Plant hardiness zone tells you what the lowest temperature is likely to be, and that is it, period. Uh, that's that's why they call it hardiness zone, and that is what how, how cold can it get? Uh, how cold is it likely to get if you've got plants that are good for zone six, that means that, you know, they're, you're not going to likely get below, I'd have to get out the chart to look, but maybe five below zero or something like that. But it's totally different from chilling hours. And you're probably one of your local ag agencies, soil conservation service, whatever, they are the ones that can tell you about chilling hours. Now, on some trees, uh, chilling is not really important, uh, or at least not as critical. Pears aren't nearly as picky as uh, peaches or apples are. Plums aren't nearly as picky as peaches and apples are. But um, the other thing, and this doesn't concern you, but uh, for those of us in the South, um, it, it a lot can depend on how well the plant will tolerate heat. And if you go to California, one of the few things they do right in California is they actually have a heat hardiness zone as well as a cold hardiness zone. So the things that you need to look at are um, are not just if it is suitable for your zone, but with many trees, you need to ask about chilling hours and um, maybe to a little bit lesser degree about, uh, you know, soil types and things like that. But um, uh, you just have to realize plant hardening zone and chilling hours are totally different concepts. Okay. Now, if it, say, for example, it says, 
500 chilling hours. Uh-huh. Um, th- it, does this start ticking off after dormancy, after the wintertime? No. Nope. This starts ticking off on the coldest, uh, the first day of the year that's below 45 degrees. And here's the problem with chilling hours is that you are in an area where my guess is you probably get 2,000 chilling hours. So if you get a 500-hour tree, what that means is that once that 500-hour mark has passed, first warm spell, that tree is going to come out and bloom. And it's not unheard of that you get, you know, a lot of chilling in October, November, and then you get a little warm spell in December, your tree comes out and blooms and freezes back and you don't get any fruit. So it's got to be, the hours have got to be pretty specific to your area. If you're in an 1,800-hour chill zone, you probably want a tree with a chill requirement of somewhere between 1,500 and 2,200, and most years, on average, you're going to do pretty well. But stay strictly away from low chilling because even if the tree is capable of surviving your colder winter temperatures, uh, if it has a low chill requirement, it's going to bloom too early, and you're going to lose all your fruit to a freeze most years. Hmm. Okay, because I think I saw, I want to say it was Bell of Georgia peach. Forget it. And something about 400 to 1,000 chilling hours. If you, if you want to relocate to Atlanta, you go right ahead, or maybe even uh, North Florida, because that is one of the lower chilling hour peaches. But uh, Midwest, forget about that tree. Do you happen to know any that are a high chill? Um, the ones that are grown up around Fredericksburg, and these are going to be early Alberta and... Um, uh, I'm not even sure that the Fredericksburg peaches are going to do in your area. Again, I'd talk to your extension agent and, uh, you may end up having the mail order trees and there's some, there's some okay mail order companies out there, but, uh, get your exact average chilling hour from somebody in your area. I just, I know, sadly to say not a thing about your part of the country. Fly fishing out here either. Uh, cherries should do very well for you, though. That'd be uh, a good thing. But look around to see what other people are growing, and uh, that's probably your best indication or what's going to do well for you. Yeah, cherries. I haven't found anybody that has any. Okay. Uh, but I'll tell you what, the kefir pear does great. <laughs> yes, it will. And you can grow soft pears. You can grow Bartlett's. You can grow some of the pears that we can't grow in South Texas because of the uh, fire blight problems. Uh, you should grow just world-class pears there. Mm-hmm. They are. They're, they're really good. I'm impressed. Okay. I appreciate I'll call back if I have more questions for you. You that know, I... we, we always enjoy hearing from a transplanted Texan. So uh, yeah. have a great week, and we'll talk again, Anna. All right, let's get back to gardening. It's going to be Carlos and Judy and Mary. Uh, good morning, Carlos. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Uh, after years of uh, ignoring our, our front yard, I mean, Timberwood Park. Okay. It had an old soya variety, and it's finally, I need to replace it. Okay. Um, it's also a deer gathering spot. <laughs> okay. So normally, it's so just, so lots of weeds everywhere, and lots of probably more seeds in there. Well, they're droppings or anything else. Okay. Normal, a normal lawn company or would come in and spray my yard with Roundup before they remove anything. Sure. I don't want to do that. I'm doing it all myself. Okay. What What, what are you thinking of replacing it with, Carlos? 
so is the Palisades. Okay. All you really need to do is mow what you've got down close to the ground. Now, if there's a big bulk of material, you'll want to rake it up and put it in your compost pile, but there's absolutely no reason to try to kill what's there and uh, okay. with Roundup or with vinegar and orange oil or anything else. I'm just going to set that mower down to where I'm literally scalping the soil. Um, I'm going to get up any excess of material. Beyond that, I'm just going to get my new grass. I'm going to lay it the day I get it. I'm going to roll it, water it, and I've got instant yard. Now, uh, if shade is an issue, Palisades is not going to do much better than other forms of zoysias. So uh, you're going to need to find, you know, a ground cover or you need to plant a St. Augustine variety or something in the shade because, in my experience, Palisades is no more shade tolerant than Emerald or El Toro or any of the other good zoysia varieties. But uh, uh, forget about trying to kill what's there. That's just an unnecessary and a wasteful step. Now, this is Okay. Okay. Yeah, your phone was breaking up a little bit there. Say that one more time. Okay. Uh, it's it's a south facing lawn. Okay. So it's full sun. Ah, uh, excellent. Excellent. No, no problem at all. No problem at all. Just just again, remember the importance of remember the importance of uh, and I mean, if the weather turns bad on you, you've got to get out there in the rain and spread it out because uh, it well, will go down in a hurry if it remains stacked on the pallets. Yeah, yeah correct. And I mentioned. Yeah. 12-degree incline. Uh-huh. You know, I'm sorry. Our phone connection is just just absolutely horrible. Okay, well, thank you, Bob. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. Call me back on a different line or from a better spot, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more. But uh, uh, let's try to get Judy in here before the news break. Good morning, Judy. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, I got a beautiful hydrangea for Mother's Day. I've never seen one before. It's called Red Beauty. Yes, ma'am. It, um, will they grow here if I plant it in the ground? If you are willing to improve the soil with a lot of compost, if you plant it in the shade, and Saws is absolutely going to hate you for the amount of water it takes to keep a hydrangea going, but yes, Uh (laughs) they will grow here. They're never going to look like they do in San Francisco uh, with our soil types. It's going to be a lighter color. It's going to be a pink color, but if you will with shade and plenty of water, you you can grow a hydrangea just fine, but I mean, if it gets dry, it's going to look like somebody poured boiling water on it. As long as it doesn't stay dry when you water it, it's going to perk right back up. Uh, if you want a trouble-free hydrangea, you plant one of the oak leaf varieties, which is what we call a lace cap hydrangea. But your gorgeous Mother's Day hydrangea, yeah, you can do fine with it in the ground or in a pot. Rich soil, plenty of shade, and an abundance of water. Okay, do I keep it moist all the time? Uh, it'll tell you if it gets too dry. Oh, okay. Whenever it's dry on the surface, it's ready for another drink. And this is one plant, if you're going to make a mistake, keep it too wet rather than too dry. Most plants would rather stay on the dry side, but not this type of hydrangea. Okay, thank you so much. Well, it's my pleasure. Good question, and uh, thank you for the call. Let's just get started. Uh, good morning, Mary. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Uh, Just another beautiful day out there. Looking forward to getting back out into it. Well, I think I've beat you. I've already been out in the garden. (laughs) Well, I was out early this morning, but, you know, four hours of sitting in the studio. I just can't wait to get back out in the fresh air. 
I understand. Okay, I have a question about my tomato plants. Mm-hmm. I've planted them as per your recommendation, the rock phosphate in the bottom, Epsom salt on the soil, cornmeal on the soil, reapplying the cornmeal because of all of our rain. Um, the plants themselves look very good, very healthy, have blooms, have tomatoes set. But when I went out uh, this morning, well, and I've noticed that over the last couple of days, I have some yellowing of leaves and dying off of some of the lower limbs closer to the ground towards the inside of the plant. Okay. Is that an issue? Well, it may be, and it's simply we've had so much rain and so much uh atypical weather i guess would be the way to describe it that you may still have some fungal issues such as early blight Uh, i would think about spraying making up some corn water tea and spraying spraying with liquid garlic will help prevent it but uh it's just this is this year thus far has been just the ideal conditions for early blight fungus and just cornmeal on the ground may not have been enough to stop it. So okay. consider making some corn water tea. And uh, as we get into hotter, drier weather, it's going to be much less of an issue. But, yeah, I'm not surprised that you're seeing a little bit of it show up anyway. Okay. And in the process of making the corn water tea, it's how much cornmeal per gallon of water? Oh, gosh, maybe a fourth of a cup. And oh, okay. if Perfect. you put that cornmeal down on the toe of some worn-out, pantyhose or stockings or something right. um, that way you won't have to strain it before you spray it and in this case we do want right. to spray the foliage okay perfect sounds great thank you always a pleasure thanks for the call this morning have a great day you, you too bet. thank you uh-huh. bye bye okay jason's up next good morning jason all right thanks for taking my call thanks for calling yeah i have a question i have a satsuma that was in the ground and it, it died back from the top so okay now it's coming up from the bottom and my question is, can I root some of those those uh, bottom branches to have more rootstock uh, plants? Now, did you say Satsuma? Yes. Okay. It, it would be better not to. And here's the reason why. When you, when you grow citrus from a cutting, you've got lateral roots coming out that are pretty darn weak and break easily, and something grafted to that tree for the first several years is going to be much more susceptible to storm damage. When you have a citrus that is grown from a seed, it puts down a true taproot straight down into the ground, which gives you a really strong plant to use as a rootstock. So, um, if what if you want to do it yourself, so to speak, what you might want to do is let one and only one of those uh, ungrafted branches come out, let it bloom, get some of that old sour orange fruit, and collect the seeds and start growing your own sour orange rootstock. But a cutting-grown citrus will not make nearly as good a rootstock just because it doesn't have the tap root now five years down the road yeah those lateral roots you'll you'll develop a nice strong plant but as far as something to graft onto it is far far better to use a seedling uh as, as to use a cutting even though the genetics are the same the growth habit of the root system is totally different does that make sense yeah that sure does okay and also one more quick question when is it is it getting too hot to do any kind of grafting? Um, you know, with tropical plants, with citrus, no. I think you can still graft. It's it's way late on peaches, plums, 
uh, things like that. But uh, on on your citrus, I think you can probably still do some grafting. And if you have other friends that grow citrus, maybe you can find somebody whose whole tree, you know, went to the rootstock only and talk them into letting it grow and saving you a little bit of fruit on it. Uh, sounds like it'd be a fun thing to do to grow some of your own. If you're into grafting, there's no reason you can't do that. But just, just find some sour orange seed and grow your own rootstock. All right. Thank you. You're sure welcome. Good question. Good call. Uh, let's see. In order, it's going to be Jan, Rodney, and John. So Jan's up first. Good morning, Jan. Morning, Bob. Good morning. I have a question about my avocado tree. It's a Joey. Uh-huh. Um, do they graft avocado trees? Do they graft them, did you say? Yeah. Do they, like, graft them to Yes, yes. Yes, most most of your so-called Mexican avocados are grafted. Um, in fact, anything that has a variety-specific name on it, uh, the only way you're going to get the same genetics tree after tree is to either graft it or grow it from cuttings. I don't think anybody grows avocados from from cuttings. So uh, if you see an avocado that says Joey or says Opal or says Mexicola, uh, those are always going to be grafted trees. Mm. Well, let's straight part of the the tree has died and then down a couple inches off the soil line it's uh, got leaves and that bark is hardened off so but that looks like where it might have been grafted you just have to examine it real carefully you can almost certainly examine the graft point and if this growth is below the graft point uh, you can think about regrafting it later on. Let one, probably just the one strongest sprout come up, and uh, next early next spring you could look into regrafting uh, that tree. But if all the growth's coming out below that point, uh, that's going to be rootstock only. Well, what, what is it still avocado? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's still avocado, but. Uh, I, I'd i have to make some calls. I'm not sure what rootstock they use in grafting avocados. I, I know citrus pretty well, but uh, I <laughs> I plead ignorance. I, I'm not sure what kind of rootstock they're grafting it onto, but I'll bet you I can find out. Yeah, it has a little ridge and then the straight dead piece, and then uh-huh. below that it has about five or six stems with yeah. leaves. Yeah, and that's that's the rootstock coming out. Uh, okay, and then uh, all my bougainvilleas, they uh, four out of five came back this year. Good. But what they do seems like they grow these long stems and hardly bloom. We call them water sprouts. Um, what you will have usually is a mix of shorter, fuller growth and those those water sprouts coming out. Whenever you see one of those things coming up, just lop the top off of it. Cut it back uh, to about the height of the rest of the foliage. It can branch out. It will ultimately make nice branches and bloom. But if you let those things take over, it's trying to get back to making a big plant in a hurry at the expense of blooming. So I'm going to chop back the water sprouts. I'm going to feed frequently. And it'll take them a little bit longer in the summer, but by midsummer they should be back to their usual glory for you. Okay. And then um, y'all been talking about that dragon fruit? Yes. How do you plant that dragon fruit? Well, it's, no, it's it's almost always, it's a type of uh, epiphytic tropical cactus, which grows very easily from cuttings. Have you ever seen a night-blooming cirrus? Do you know how that plant grows? It's kind of like... Okay, you've seen a Christmas cactus. 
Yes. If you imagine that magnified about 10 times, uh, they make those long segmented stems, and uh, it's portions of those stems that are rooted and grown out. Uh, that's how the dragon fruit is reproduced. It's uh, it's not closely related to Christmas cactus, other than the fact that it is an epiphytic cactus, but it, it's just a much larger form um, with the same growth habit, and uh, that's how it's propagated. It is strictly tropical. It will not take a hard freeze, but uh, it can be it can be propagated easily from any mature wood. Well, where are you going to find it? Uh, from somebody that already has a dragon fruit plant. <laughs> <laughs> they are not grafted, so they are one thing that you can uh, and and you know or, um, these things grow very prolifically. And I've never been to a dragon fruit plantation, but I suspect that they prune heavily because this is very closely related to some other epiphytic cacti that grow, you know, a hundred feet, two hundred feet long, growing up into the tops of trees. So uh, they do grow vigorously. They produce a lot of growth that is super suitable for rooting and making new plants. But uh, uh, again, um, you got to have a pretty big, pretty good sized place to be able to protect it in the winter. If you're thinking of growing growing your own dragon fruit, it is very very doable. But um, uh, kind of like growing some other things, uh, $10 a pound might look cheap after you find out what it costs you to grow your own. But, uh, <laughs> you know, have, have you eaten dragon fruit? Have you ever bought it at the store and eaten it? No. Is it that one that looks funny, like spines on it or something? It looks funny. I would be, I'd, I'd, I'd go, that's one thing I go to the Internet for is a picture of it. But it it is not a sweet fruit. It is a unique taste i think you might say it is an acquired taste uh like anything else be sure you like it before you grow a bunch of it <laughs> yeah, that's for sure okay well i'll check it out of the store you do it and i appreciate the call jay have a wonderful week all right thank you thank you bye, bye, -bye. All right, back to gardening. Uh, Rodney, John, Jose, and Phyllis in that order. Good morning, Rodney. Good morning, Bob. How you doing? I'm great. How about you today? Doing good today. Glad to hear hey, it. Yeah, uh, we've got a problem with what I'm pretty sure is spurweed in our yard. Okay. And just want to know how to get rid of it or kill it. Okay, we're talking grass burrs with the really sharp, yes. um, yeah. Grass burrs are an annual grass, um, and they are one of the weakest grasses out there. The problem is that at this point, uh, you know, every year they totally die in the winter months, but all those burrs sprout up again in the spring. And so by the time you see them coming up, by this time of year, it's tough to do anything about them without hurting your basic grass um uh, you know, so getting getting rid of them is almost an impossibility when you start out in the spring. Now, a lot of people will sell pre-emergence that uh, kill the seed as it tries to sprout. Again, the problem with uh, the grass burr is that it can sprout any time from April through about September, and it means you'd have to be putting down an expensive product four or five times a year without real great results. So the way that right. I control them in my yard... And I had a patch we used for a croquet court that's probably 30, 40 feet wide and probably 100 feet long. And this 
was i mean it was so choked with the grass burrs you couldn't walk in there the dogs walked around the area instead of trying to grow through it but uh i i put out in the fall i put like a half inch layer of compost over the whole thing um and that's basically all i did and i went from having an area you couldn't walk into i think the following year um i maybe pulled four plants four grass burrs out of that entire area and I think the the compost itself produces uh, some material that's a natural uh, pre-emergent herbicide. Plus, it stimulated the Bermuda grass in that area. It was the most green, beautiful stand of Bermuda I've ever seen, which pretty effectively choked out any grass burrs that tried to sprout. So um, I'd be lying to you if I told you there was any way. And, and even your toxic chemicals are not really going to help you out unless you're trying to just kill the whole thing and start over, which is a waste of time because you're still going to have plenty of burrs left over to grow next year. So my suggestion for this year, put a bagger on your mower, mow it as frequently as you have to, to minimize the burrs. But uh, I can almost promise you a, a layer of compost over that area in the fall will pretty much eliminate them for next year and years to come i this when i did this to that area of my yard it's probably been seven eight years ago something like that and i Mm -hmm. see maybe one grass burr plant a year out there which i pull and dispose of now doesn't mean i don't have weeds i still have beggar's lice i still have (laughs) dandelions um i because uh you know living in the country on a well we just don't have water to do a lot of irrigating but uh the compost totally solved my grass burr problem in that area and just this season, anything you can do to increase uh, your basic grass, whether it's St. Augustine or Bermuda, uh, realize grass burrs sprouted earlier than your your good grass really even started growing just because of our weird temperature. Right. So fertilize, water, do all the things you would normally do because, uh, like I say, the burrs, that is the weakest grass out there. But Mother Nature hates bare soil, and she's going to plant something if you don't have thick grass there. So uh you can you can get rid of it, but this is really a hard time of year to try to deal with it. All right. Well, thanks for the advice. I really appreciate it. Well, I, I wish I could tell you other things, but I'm being totally honest, and I know it's not what you and your family want to hear, but there is control. And, uh, again, I once I got it under control, I've not done anything other than uh, – just uh, occasionally fertilize and let Mother Nature take care of it. So put it on that on the calendar for next fall, and uh, we'll talk again when we get a little closer to time. Okay, thanks, Bob. I You're welcome, Roddy. Oh, you too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, up to Illinois. Good morning, John. Hey, good morning. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. It's uh, it's a nice South Texas morning. How is it in your part of the world? Oh, uh, we got overcast. Rain's supposed to move out of here tonight, and the wind's blowing. It's a little cool, but not not bad how about we how about we trade Uh, you some humidity for some rain (laughs) uh, half of it yeah yeah that'll work (laughs) what's going on today i can go with that yeah uh thank you i called a while back but thank you for the mention of the medina green and grow my yard hasn't looked any but this is best it's looked in a long time and it's filled in some spots that i hadn't had been able to fill in before well i'm so glad something that's it's got a darker color to it than everyone else's yard. I noticed that off the get-go. Well, that's because uh, Medina put some green sand. They put extra iron, one of many things they add to that fertilizer. I'm so, so happy it's worked well for you. Yeah, it's working good. I'm going to put I'm not going for yard of the month until maybe next year, and I'll uh, just put another <laughs> uh, batch on it. Uh, 
another layer of in the fall. But uh, number two, for putting uh, the molasses down with water, I've got still got some dead grass underneath the grass, and mm-hmm. my thought is be just cut and then spray that on top of it. Would that be reasonable? Doesn't matter whether. Or when you, would that be the best time to do it? You do that any time you can, and there's no reason to mow first. Uh, what what okay. molasses does is, of course, uh, jumpstarts the microbes that break down those dead grass leaves. Uh, it just destroys thatch. This is the, the easy organic way. You don't have to get a verticutter or go to all that trouble. But molasses is the best anti-thatch remedy you have and you can do it 24 7 anytime the temperature is above freezing so you can put a liquid out um, for a yard one to two tablespoons per gallon is the rate you want to spray for acreage we okay. figure about five gallons per acre okay and what about uh compost when would be the best time to put compost down in the beginning of spring fall and what about leaf mulching and putting that down um, is that overkill or that's overkill if you have sort of an access to good compost just prior to when your yards normally green up i'm guessing that's probably april for you uh that's going to be the perfect time to put your compost down fall i would be a little more reluctant because we don't i mean compost keeps the soil warmer and we don't want to keep your grass in active growth when you go into your much more severe winter weather so i'm going to do my compost application um you know early to mid spring okay okay and on the root flares i I went to dirtdoctor.com and i've seen what they're talking about i've seen trees and stuff that's good and bad all the way around here and it's some that they go and make them look pretty. They pile stuff up around them. But what? how far out should the root flare come? I mean, as far as I can get it or just as far? What well, would be a recommendation? Mother Nature says more is better. Um, I would say minimum of a foot around the tree. And if you can expose it further, all the better. I mean, the root flare is a, architecturally, is a beautiful feature of a tree. And, um, so the, the more, the wider you can get it, the better. The whole idea is to have air circulation around the trunk. So anything you can do is going to be a big help to the tree. But I mean, if you could expose it three feet around, I would consider that ideal. Okay. Okay. Well, that's all the questions I've got today. And, uh, thank you very much. I guess I, I can't listen to it because that radio signal just doesn't get up here, but I do <laughs> listen to the podcast on Monday and Tuesday. Well, I certainly appreciate it, John. Always glad to have you. And I can't promise that I know plants in your part of the world nearly as well as I know them here, but the basic organic principles are still going to be the same in Illinois, same as they are in California, same as they are in South Texas. So it's a real pleasure hearing from you. Yep. Okay. Well, we, y'all have a good day. We'll see you later. Look forward to it. Thank you, sir. And goodbye. Jose is next. Good morning, Jose. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Uh, sir, I got a, uh, maybe you talked about it a little bit today. I got this weed growing in my, just, you know, natural Bermuda grass here in uh, San Antonio over by SeaWorld area. Okay. But I got these little, they're almost like a little creeper type of thing with a little yellow flower in the middle of it. Right. It just, if you don't like it, my lawn. yeah, it's uh, um, 
it is called straggler daisy it goes by two names if you like it you call it horse herb if you don't like it you call it straggler daisy and your best bet at this time of year and what is your basic grass do you have bermuda st augustine what's your what's your principal grass it, it, it's just a it's a it's a bermuda okay uh, my augustine is just coming out because my tree's finally you know giving it shade yeah uh, you know, they're maturing really nice, but this, this thing is just really invasive right now. Well, and what happens is the horse or the uh, straggler daisy started growing in February, and your St. Augustine and Bermuda, neither one of those started growing until about 10 days ago. Um, your grasses will dominate if you mow regularly. There's mm-hmm. This stuff mm-hmm. is woody. I mean, it would be backbreaking mm-hmm. to try to pull it all. It uh, To try to spray it, you damage your good grass. So at this point, Mow low, mow often, and fertilize. Um, let your Bermuda take over. Straggler Daisy is going to show up where there's a weak spot in the grass, and you just strengthen your grass and mow, and uh, it'll overcome it. Okay, that sounds great. And just one more thing. Uh, my daughter graduates tomorrow from high school, so it's a little shout-out for my daughter, Sienna. And Thank congratulations her. to her for a job well done. Love to see, uh, love to see the kids that are do it right and i'll bet you your daughter is going to go on to do great things for this world she's going to the citadel so she's going to be in the united states army uh just i can't think of a better <laughs> a better profession to follow if that's her interest and uh we yep. we need more strong women out there and uh sounds like you've got a real good one with a real good background uh congratulations to her and to you jose thank you you too sir oh, i love to hear about uh young people dedicated to what they want to do, whether it's a military career, whether it's a career in public service or, you know, private business, just get out and do something. I, of course, uh, head a land trust, and I love what one of the ladies on my board of directors says. She says, always strive to uh, leave enough that your kids can do something, but not enough that they can do nothing. (laughs) I just think that's such good advice, and I don't know. I just so respect the parents that are doing a a good job with their kids out there, including you, Jose. You're uh, you're a man to to be proud of what you're doing. Good morning, Phyllis. Good morning, Bob. How you doing? Uh, Just another beautiful morning. How's everything with you? Doing good. I live here in San Antonio, but we have acreage in Louisiana. Okay. And I called you last year and asked you about when is the best time to plant our fruit trees, and you said January and February. Correct. Well, we've got those in the ground in February, and they're doing well, except for one, which was a bare root, and it's just not doing well at all. But the others are doing great. they got leaves and everything. Okay. What do I need to make sure they stay doing well? Well, I I'm, use the organic products that y'all have, but I just want to make sure that, you know, we protect them from bugs and stuff like that. Well, bugs are really not going to be an issue with healthy fruit trees. Uh, you may end up needing to do some things to protect the fruit at some point, okay. but that's a year or two down the down the road. For now, it's just, you know, regular fertilizer, regular water, uh, and using organic, of course, on the fertilizer. Now, this coming winter, when the leaves are off the trees, uh, proper pruning. I mean, the first year's pruning is critical to get those trees growing with a growth habit that's going to make it easy to pick the fruit and that it's going to maximize your fruit production. But uh, you can give me a call in November or so, and we'll talk about the proper way to prune those trees. But for now, fertilizer, water, 
Um, do you have someone there on the property that looks after them for you when you're not in Louisiana? Um, we kind of go back and forth. My husband's up there now, and I'm here in San Antonio, so okay. we kind of share well, the wealth there. Every one of those trees, including the one that's not doing well, when you first plant, I mean, if you would spray down the top of those trees, just water down the top of the trees five times a day, this would okay. help those trees, you know, adapt and get the they get the moisture they need while they're still developing the roots that long term are going to be the principal you know water supply but young trees they absorb a lot of moisture through their bark as well as through their limited root system so that's going to be the thing that helps more than anything else now uh good i'd be using either dry and or liquid fertilizers and beyond that i'm just gonna step back and watch them grow what part of louisiana did you tell me uh your property is in it's north of alexandria and lasalle parish we're close we're just north of woodworth forest hill that's okay. where we got our fruit trees from <laughs> forest hill is one of the biggest tree growing and shrub growing areas in north america so uh sure um, you're in an area you should do extremely well with them and uh, you call me anytime i can help but uh, the main okay. thing that you're looking forward to is going to be proper pruning we're going to do that sometime between november and january in the meantime i'd be using a good dry organic fertilizer probably about every three months uh, i'd probably be supplementing it at least once a month with a good liquid organic fertilizer and uh, you're going to be ready to open that road roadside produce stand before you know it you know it now i have another question on roses okay can you tell me the difference between the heirloom the hybrid teas and this new knockout this new knockout some of them have fragrance and some of them don't right so can you kind of give me a little overview on those well we refer to you know old roses heirloom roses Technically, they consider that to be any rose over 100 years old. Now, that okay. doesn't mean that an heirloom rose is necessarily the best rose for you because there are many, many classes of heirloom roses, some of which do better in an area and some of which don't do as well. So uh, heirloom roses, typically, I love the fact that they're growing on their own roots, but I'm going to look a little further before I decide to plant. And, you know, I don't have the time or probably don't have the knowledge to tell you all the difference between the wor- the bourbons, the uh, floribundas, the noisettes. These are just different right. classes of ways that uh, roses are grouped together as far as their growth habit and their flowering. So heirloom roses are typically very good roses. They're very good roses grown on their own roots, but not every heirloom rose is guaranteed to be good for your area. Um, Your modern hybrids, and by the way, tea roses are just another class of roses along with your noisettes and floribundas and all these others. But um, your, your modern hybrid roses, many of those... You can sometimes find them growing on their own roots. More often, they are going to be grafted. And if they are grafted, it makes a difference as to what kind of rootstock they're grafted on. Let's take a good red rose from a few years back, like Mr. Lincoln. That's a name everybody can remember. But Mr. Lincoln may be grafted on a rootstock called Dr. Schragen that is great for East Texas, great for Louisiana, but lousy for San Antonio. Mr. Lincoln might also be grafted onto one of the California rootstocks, which are very good for San Antonio. So 
when we look at our modern roses, we don't just look at the variety. We we'll look at the rootstock that they are grafted onto, and we look basically to where they're coming from. In San Antonio, you don't want a rose that's propagated in Tyler. In Tyler, you don't want to grow a rose from California because they're just going to be on the wrong, wrong rootstock. Uh, finally, to your question about the knockouts, the knockouts are just a new group of hybrid roses. They are among the most prolific, free-blooming, easy-growing roses that have ever been developed. But on the negative side, my experience is they take three times as much water as most of the old roses. My roses, established roses, they get water maybe once every month or six weeks. Uh, my knockouts were dying under that regimen because they were demanding to be watered every five to seven days. So uh, they are among the showiest, but they are also the most demanding as far as care. Okie dokie. That's what I needed to know about those. So if, if I picked up roses over the years, the roses that I have gotten here in San Antonio, I've given them away as gifts, and I've mm-hmm. managed to get them from this place called Shades of Green. <laughs> I've heard owner, of it. <laughs> yes, and the owner told me because I asked him one day, I said, which one are the best fragrance? And he told me, go out there and smell, use your yep. nose, and so I did. So that's what I've done. But if I picked up roses from this nursery, would they necessarily grow in Louisiana? Most of them will be just fine because most of the roses from Shades of Green are on their own roots. I won't say we don't occasionally get a grafted rose, but usually it's by accident rather than by design. Knockouts are always grown on their own roots. I don't think anybody grafts knockouts. So uh, the soils there will be fine for them. The climate there will be fine for them. But if you want to grow the knockout, somebody needs to be around to water them uh, every 10 days or so through the summer months. Yeah, that could be a problem. Okay, for Easter, I received a lot of tulip plants. Uh huh. Now they have died down. What do I need to do with those tulip plants that are in pots? <laughs> Put them in the dumpster. <laughs> oh, Bob. <laughs> okay. Here, here's the thing about all bulbs. Um, you know, tulips, after they have finished blooming, they've expended most all of the nutrient that was stored in those bulbs. And you need a fairly long period of watering, fertilizing, taking perfect care of them to put the energy back into those bulbs so they can come around and do it again next year. We do not have, we have a great climate for growing tulips for one season. But uh, if you want a bulb that's going to come back year after year, it's not going to be tulips. They just don't like uh, our climate. Uh, If you really want to work at it, uh, you can spend about $2 to save a 60-cent bulb. And, um, I, I mean, I love tulips. They're beautiful. There are a few species tulips that you could actually plant that would do well here. But if you want those okay. pretty Dutch tulips, just uh, buy some bulbs and plant them every year. It's no different, really, than okay. buying pansies or buying periwinkles or buying marigolds that we know are only going to last one season. So just think of your tulip bulbs as an annual, but they're just simply not a plant that it's practical to go to the effort to get them to come back year after year. Okay. Thanks, Bob. And I'll be calling you again in November about pruning those. Well, I hope you won't wait that long, but I'll look forward to helping you anytime, Phyllis. You get out and have a wonderful week, and I'll move on and talk to Pat. Good morning, Pat. Yes. 
Good morning. Good morning. And I hope you can help me. This is nothing about roses and all about weeds. Okay. Um, I have uh, a, a whole garden full of uh, weeds, the kind that grow about three feet tall, and then and and as you stoop to to grab them by the roots, you know, because they come out very easily in this humid weather because the soil is kind of wet still after the rains. Uh huh. And you pull them out, and it's, they're very easy to manipulate. But um, due to circumstances, I can't do it all. And so I uh, I did a whole lot, and uh, I can do the work, but I'm just, I guess I'm too old to finish it up. You know, I'm so afraid that it'll all dry up. And I, you had, uh, you, last week, uh, or maybe the week before, you said that you, there are people there who would need jobs, you know, for smaller things and so on. And, and you gave, uh, said to call. Well, I did that. And the, the lady went ahead and checked, and she gave me Randy and a telephone number to call and all, who turned out, everything turned out very nice. But... All of a sudden, he, I guess he must have gone to other jobs because he, he just disappeared. He evaporated. Well, we... Now, where can... Pardon? It's, it's very hard to find people that really want to do laboring work. Uh, dealing with the weeds, you're really much better just to mow them off to try to pull them. They've already made seed, so... Um, I, I'm not going to tell you it's worth paying somebody to come out and pull them. I'm just going to mow them off. I'm going to try to take care of my basic grass, but, uh, I, I certainly don't remember telling you that we knew a lot of people that would do this because they're very, very hard to find. But, uh, at this point, I think you're wasting your time trying to pull them. I would be weed eating them off or mowing them off. Uh, if they're that tall, you're probably going to, want to collect or rake up that material and put into your compost pile but uh that's going to be your only real hope for getting them under control but uh, i have found that it's a lot faster and simpler if i just grab them at the bottom and pull because they come out so easily well very easily that's and so i mean that's all i need but still uh, you know when it gets a little bit warmer and today was a perfect day yeah. but the man never appeared so that's why i'm calling to ask because finally i called and i left a message i said so i can go get ahead with my my day well, ma'am, i'm uh, awful sorry but i can't take responsibility yeah. for somebody else and if it's somebody that works yeah, well, for oh, me i know that yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that, oh, that's not what i'm mean yeah, I'm, i understand I pat I've, I've got to move on i've got several callers that have got to get in here but you're just gonna have to look around and find somebody that wants to work and uh doesn't mind pulling a few weeds all right uh just about to finish up the garden show here you're gonna have to go fairly quickly but it's gonna be martha and bob and johnny we start with martha good morning good morning um Bob, I have a problem with gnats in my house. Okay. I have plants in the in the kitchen, and um, I water them, you know, as they need it. But I've never had gnats before. Now they're there, and they're in the kitchen, and the, I see them in the bedroom, in the bathroom. Okay. How do I get rid of these things? Okay, let's talk about, our, do you feel like these gnats are coming out of the soil around your plants, or are they coming out of your drains, your sink, and your... I think they're coming... From the plants, because I okay. see them circling the plants. Okay. Um, you're keeping your plants a little too wet. And okay. uh, number one thing is going to be to let things get a little drier between waterings. Water very thoroughly when you water, 
but let them dry out a little bit more between times. The other thing that will almost instantly, and by that I mean a few days, because you got to let the adults die, you want to kill the larvae you're in the soil. But if you get the product that we use to kill mosquito larvae, it's called uh, BTI, Bacillus thuringiensis, Israeliensis. It's sold as mosquito bits or mosquito dunks. The That bacteria, safe for humans and pets and everything else, but it kills fungus gnat larvae just like it kills mosquito larvae. And you can put a little bit of this, uh, the mosquito granules is what I would use. Just take your watering cans, sprinkle a quarter of a teaspoon, half teaspoon of these granules in there, let it sit for a few minutes, and then use that water to water your plants, and the BTI will totally kill the fungus latin, latin yeah fungus gnat larvae say that 10 times quickly but (laughs) you'll kill the fungus gnat larvae in the soil of your plants and you'll be totally rid of them but uh water a little more thoroughly and a little less often and that'll keep them from coming back okay so that's d as in dog e-i no it's uh b as in boy t as in tom i as in israel uh, okay. Bacillus thuringiensis israeliensis. It was found in a farm pond in Israel, but uh, that's where the name comes from. But what you're going to ask for is either mosquito dunks or mosquito bits. You'll find them in any good nursery, uh, totally harmless, but you soak um, either one of them in water and then water your plants with that, and it will take care of all the larvae in the soil. Now, if you find any of them coming out of the drains, after you have finished running water down them, you know, after you finish washing dishes or whatever, put about a teaspoon of orange oil down your drains because sewer gnats are also very common, which is what that would be. But, boy, the orange oil will do more than uh, any plumber ever did for, you know, 1% of the cost. Okay. Is that safe for uh, septic tanks? Totally. Okay, great, great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bob. My pleasure, Martha. Thanks for the call. And next up's a man with a good name. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Bob. How you doing? I'm great, sir. How about you? Doing good. Have a couple of questions about pear trees. Okay. Uh, fall of 2017, I planted a keeper pear and an oriental pear. Okay. And uh, new leaves came out this spring, and they were real light yellow. And I was told that maybe it was just the new leafing, but to date, uh, about half the tree is dark green leaves and about half the tree is yellow leaves. Get some either some magic sand by Ladybug or some green sand by Nature's Creation. Um, You've got an iron deficiency. Watch your watering very carefully because pear trees do not like the constant moisture that we've had in the later part of the spring we were dry back in january february and then when we got moist we really got moist so no supplemental water on those pears until it dries out substantially but a little magic sand a little green sand the leaves that are yellowed now are probably not going to turn dark green but the new leaves that come out should be much better off sounds good and i have a fruit set on the keeper but the oriental had lots of blooms but no fruit set Pretty normal for the age of the tree. Pretty average for the age of the tree. Probably be maybe the reverse next year, but uh, Kiefer's going to give you a, a good crop this year, and uh, so you have plenty of pears to enjoy. As they, as they mature, both of them should start producing well every year. And then a quick question on asparagus. Uh, I've got the big, tall plants, two years old. Uh-huh. Some of them have, have berries 
Yeah. Someone told me those are the female plants. And Probab- probably so, but they will produce good edible asparagus. At this point, oh, just okay. let them grow, cut them back in the winter, and enjoy your asparagus in the spring. And uh, we'll talk again. i got to get Johnny in here for the last two minutes. Good morning, Johnny. Good morning, Bob. Morning. Hey, I had a quick question on uh, two types of uh, trees i got in my backyard. Okay. One is a Mount Laurel. Okay. Worms are eating that thing up. I can't figure out what to use to get rid of them. Well, first of all, your mountain laurel is stressed or you wouldn't have the caterpillars. I suspect it's staying too wet. An established mountain laurel probably doesn't need to be watered once a year by you. So cut way back on your watering, and hopefully next year you won't have the caterpillars. Uh, If you want to kill them very effectively with a very safe product, you can get spinosad. It will kill the worms almost instantly. Or you can use what we call BT, not BTI, but BT, but spray only your mountain laurel. We don't want to kill all the caterpillars out there, just the ones on your mountain laurel. And if you use the BT product, uh, put just a little bit of just household molasses in there. It'll make it a lot more effective. But uh, main thing I want you to do is really cut back on watering that tree, because next year I don't want you to have to deal with them at all. Okay, good question. Good. <clears throat> and the other tree, uh, the other problem I got is with my mountain laurel. Uh-huh. Getting that white pottery uh, substance on the leaves. Now, that would be your crepe myrtle, not your mountain laurel. Yeah. Um, you can spray with garlic. You can spray with neem. You can spray, uh, you can soak a little bit of whole ground cornmeal in water and use that to spray. That powdery mildew is going to go away as soon as it gets hot and sunny. But if you want to make it go a little faster, any of those things, I'd soak the cornmeal in water and spray with that. That's easy. That's cheap. And it works real well. But as soon as we get hot, dry weather, that's going to take care of the problem. And Johnny, you have a wonderful week. We'll talk again right now. Phone lines are open for Dr. Kirby's show. We'll be right back with your pet's health on KTSA San Antonio.